What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for today. Our final uh, New Generation Sports Talk Podcast for the for the year of 2021. We'll be talking about the AFC and NFC playoff pictures as we're just two weeks away from the start of the NFL playoffs. Right now, I gotta you know give myself a little pat on the back. I'm really excited about my fantasy team is in the championship of the New Generation fantasy football league and there is no home cooking or any cheating going on i know it's called new generation football league but i'm fair and square right now i am in i finished in first place now in the championship round for so it's 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 big football is really you know really big in 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 deep in my head right now in terms of my excitement and my level of interest for not just my fantasy league, but of course these playoffs where we only have one team in the afc right now that has clinched a playoff spot. So there's still plenty to be determined. We've talked about COVID, you know, wreaking havoc on the NFL, or many people have talked about COVID wreaking havoc on the NFL and all pro sports. We're seeing major players miss these huge games, major playoff implications. So we'll talk about how we see the NFC and NFC, AFC playoff picture shaking out. We'll also talk some NBA basketball. Of course, that's another league that's been ravaged by COVID. We've seen the Lakers. Not necessarily have some of the COVID issues that some of these other teams have had, but have still struggled mightily. And there's been a lot of conversation about what it is that can be done, if anything can be done, to fix this Laker team as they sit right now below 500 and, and towards the bottom of the playoff hunt in the Western Conference. So we'll have a plenty to talk about in this podcast. It should be a good show. But I got to start on a somber note with my guy Kendall because... We learned this evening as we're recording this podcast on Tuesday night that John Madden, the legend, has passed away. Hall of Fame NFL head coach, Hall of Fame broadcaster, John Madden died unexpectedly Tuesday. He uh, made his first splash in the sport of football by becoming the youngest professional football head coach at the ripe age of 32. He went on to lead the Oakland Raiders to seven division titles, one of those being an AFL division title. Um, and including one Super Bowl championship. Always a larger-than-life figure on the sidelines, he would take that character to the booth, launching an iconic broadcasting career that spanned three decades. He was known for his colorful commentary that often came with funny cat phrases, sometimes bizarre telestrations, and witty banter with his longtime partner, the late, great Pat Summerall. Madden would then truly become immortalized when the first John Madden football game was launched in 1988. The game would become a cultural phenomenon with Madden himself playing a big part in the game's appeal by lending his voice and character to the game. Madden's impact on this sport is immeasurable, and I would argue he is the most influential figure in the sport of football for the past 50 years. Kendall, how will you remember the late, great John Madden? Yeah, yeah, that was well said. I mean, this was uh, pretty shocking. Uh you know, definitely pretty shocking considering uh, his documentary just aired a couple of days ago on Christmas Day mm-hmm. uh, on Fox. Uh, did not get a chance to watch the documentary, but I did get a chance to watch an interview that Tom Rinaldi, who I believe is uh, was the lead interviewer for that documentary, one of the producers. He did an interview on Colin Cowherd's uh, radio show, and he talked about he talked about the documentary and talked about John Madden and uh, obviously Tom Rinaldi is incredibly insightful uh, and makes every story uh, larger than life. But yeah. um, 
But a lot of the anecdotes that that Rinaldi gave in just that interview that was 15, 20 minutes uh, was incredible. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, the timing is so is is so, you know, eerie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, John Madden, like you mentioned, I mean, I don't think there's any I'm not sure if there's any figure. You know, I mean, besides maybe like I mean, this is honestly like, you know, he's almost as synonymous with football as Jordan is with basketball. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy to think and, of how iconic this figure is who's a non-player. We, yeah, exactly. Like, we've seen, you know, we've never seen a coach, like you said, a non-player be so be so synonymous with a brand and with a, with a, a, a sport like John Madden is. And he, he, he's, he's remembered and he's, uh, his legacy lives on in multiple generations of football fans, uh, sports fans. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the impact that he had not only on, the the coaching industry you mentioned him being the youngest coach and you know now we're seeing some of these younger coaches in the game now yeah uh it feels like it's sort of a newer renaissance with some of these big vague type guys john madden did it all the way back then um but you're also i mean the the innovations and the the um the evolution of the of 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 sports broadcasting you know and football uh commentating you know the 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 you know he was you know the first Tony Romo type figure where you know he got you know the huge contracts and right. worked with every network you know yeah. worked with ESPN worked with Fox or ABC I should say right worked yeah. with Fox worked with CBS worked with NBC but yeah I mean just uh, and then obviously the video game you know is what really carries his legacy you know worldwide. Um, yeah. And through cross, you know, some of the youngest generations of football fans uh, and future generations of football fans uh, will will know the name Madden and know it's synonymous with the game of football. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, we'll see uh, if, if EA Sports decides to do something to honor his legacy uh, or if they'll just put Juju on the cover. Well, We'll see, but <laughs> no, in that game, I don't really know. Yeah, EA Sports can be, yeah, who knows. What <laughs> EA in general can be. The, uh, the, right thing to, the right thing to do at the start is to make John Madden the cover. You would think. Yeah, you would think that would be the move they'll make. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, glad glad he got to see the documentary through. Uh, That's glad very he true. got to participate in the documentary. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, just hope, you know. Hope his family's doing okay, and you know, obviously, again, his his legacy will live on for generations to come. And when I think of John Madden, Kendall, what the reason why I, you know, because I, I sat with this for a while when I was just thinking about his influence. Because when I, as I started thinking more and more, and I texted you guys, I'm like, I'm like, he's he's got to be the most influential figure in all of football for at least the last fifty years. And the more I kept thinking about, it, the more it, it it was solidified to me. Because think about how many other iconic figures were uplifted and iconic things were uplifted by John Madden. I'll give you a, several examples. Let's start with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving football. How, like 
how could Thanksgiving football possibly be uplifted by any person, you would think? But John Madden did that with the turducken, with the six-legged turkey, all the stuff that we talk about with food with Thanksgiving and football. John Madden uplifted that image and what that means to American culture with how he made that a big part of his figure and his calling of those games. Let's think about Brett Favre, the crazy, you know, commentary, the love affair he had with Brett Favre of the, of the, of the Green Bay Packers. It uplifted the legacy of one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, one of the greatest kind of, um, what's the word I would put? Like a, almost like a, a like a, 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 what's the guy that Tom Hanks played? Why can't, Forrest Gump kind of NFL figure. Like John Madden, with his commentary, the way he called Brett Favre's game, the way how he expressed Brett Favre's love on the field, uplifted what we think of when we think of Brett Favre. Think about Michael Vick. The video game, John Madden, NFL football, created a whole different character in Michael Vick that also became uplifted because Mike Vick became like the Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl type of player on Madden. And when we think of Michael Vick's legacy, we always have to think about the Madden football game and we have to think about John Madden. I mean, those three things I just named, those are iconic American figures and iconic American traditions that we're talking about. And John Madden plays a big part in every single one of those things. So when I think of influence, I don't even know like, I don't like I don't even know how there's a conversation about who could be more influential. And it's crazy to think about Kendall, this guy had a 76% winning percentage coaching NFL football. You know how ridiculous a winning percentage that is for NFL coaches? Yeah. He didn't coach for two years. He coached for like 10 years. It was, yeah, and what's amazing about his coaching career is that he never went back. He, he never know, went we back, even though he retired like young. John Gruden. Um, not to bring up John Gruden, but you know he was a guy that was sort of similar in that he was highly coveted. Doing the TV thing, we all knew eventually he's gonna go back. He just had to find the right, the right dollar amount, the right mm-hmm. place, and he did obviously. And most coaches go back at some point, um, but he never did. Retired fairly young and just did TV for the rest of his career. I mean, but, pretty. But Ken, but Ken, though, what what football what football coach that's a Super Bowl winner? Would you say that their football coaching career was their footnote? Of their impact in the NFL. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like, that is insane to me. We're talking about one of the greatest NFL head coaches of all time. And, like, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, he was a great NFL head coach. He won almost 80% of his games. And he won a Super Bowl. And he was in one of the first Super Bowls in NFL history. <laughs> and But, like, it does, like, we don't even talk about that. You know what I'm saying? Like He's one of those guys that... And... We see it in basketball. Uh, I feel like we may see it in baseball as well. But I think about a Bill Russell. I think about a Tommy Heinsohn. Guys that will get into the Hall of Fame for multiple things. Like, he's in right now as a coach, but I almost feel like put him in put him in again as a broadcaster. Put him in for contributions to the game. Um, they're not going to do that probably because I don't think that's how they work. But... Um, that's how that's how special his career is, and I don't know how many people in in pro football have that sort of legacy. 
where you I mean, put he, them in. I don't know if they've ever done that before, but he needs to be in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. I mean, he's right. we, we throw around the term GOAT a lot, but he is without question the GOAT color commentator when it comes to football. When you think of what color commentary should be in football, you think of John Madden. Yeah. Like, it's not even... It's not even a conversation, and, and it's crazy that like we've gone these years, and, and you know, we, it, it's, it feels like maybe we found you know another kind of generational person in Tony Romo. And then Troy Aikman is really good, also. But it yeah, just yeah. there there are so many there are so many years where we saw all three four networks trying to find anything to create the magic of John Madden if they didn't have John Madden. You know, ABC, ESPN was putting. Uh, you know, uh, uh, comedians in the booth. You know, we've seen obviously coaches and players, and ESPN then tried to put Tony Kornheiser in the booth, a, a, a journalist, reporter. Like, it, that's how much of a dominant figure he was in the booth as a color commentator. That trying to recreate that sometimes felt impossible. We saw these networks literally trying to do anything to create something that could be as magical as John Madden is, and. Again, it, it, you know, it, it's a sad day for football fans. It's a sad day to me for America. I mean, I think it's that important. Like, what football means to America is is obvious. And John Madden is football, as I saw uh, Chris Carlin shout out to him tweet today. I mean, it's 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 crazy. And to think, I mean, he he crosses so many generations. He crosses, uh, you know, eth- ethnic, you know, backgrounds. You know, black, white, whatever. I mean, just. Again, he's an American icon, you know? And, you know, obviously he was getting up there in age. And we hadn't seen him much. I was really happy that they did that 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 documentary. I was upset when I heard of his passing today. I did not get to watch it because we haven't seen as much of John, especially in the last, I would say, five or six years. So, um, yeah, man. I don't I mean it's it's just it's just, it's sad to see, but I think it's important we continue to uh uh praise John's legacy what he meant to the game, what he meant to a lot of people, young, old. I mean, you're talking about a, a John Madden video game that has grossed, and this is as of 2013, so this is not even close to what the number is now, but as of 2013, they had grossed $4 billion in sales. You're talking about, so you put somebody's name on something and it makes $4 billion over, at that point, a little less, a little more than two, de- a little less than two decades. I mean, that says, this is a lot about how influential, again, how important that person is, you know? So, again, like you said, uh, condolences to the Madden family. Uh, condolences to the Raider family. You know, the Raiders, obviously, they're uh, very immensely important to John, and, um, and and he's important to them. So, I know this is a terrible day for the Raiders. Of course, all of his current or his, his former colleagues that worked with him throughout these years. And again, just a sad day for all football fans. You know, I, I, I saw this and I was, I was, I was not, I, I, it did not sit well. There's no depth to sit well with anybody, but this, this one, I was like, oh man, really? Like, uh, you know, I, a lot of, John Madden's the introduction to a lot of people to football for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, if you don't know about the game, you turn on a football game, you're probably watching a big game on a Sunday. John Madden's calling it. So he's the one explaining the game of football to you. Or for a lot of young kids who maybe don't watch football like that but play video games and they turn on a video game and they want to play Madden, 
a lot of times Madden is their first introduction to playing football games. Again, his name is on the game, and his voice is in the game. Again, it wasn't like he just put his name on it and then ran away. He did a lot of promotion for the game. He did a lot of stuff in the game, you know, various different all Madden teams and different kind of video shoots he would do for the game, uh, within the game. And, of course, he lended his color commentary to that video game. You know, he that video game was important to him, and as it should be. You know, again, they were using his name as likenesses for all these years to make all his money. I'm sure, and I hope that he was paid handsomely. I'm sure he was. So, um, so yeah, man. Shout out to the late great John John Madden, man. R.I.P. And and shout out to uh, who I talked about earlier, Pat Summerall, who we lost several years prior, and, and knows another icon. And those two were just just the best team broadcast team maybe just in all in the history of sports you know so it is you know this it's that they were that much of a of a titanic pairing and uh it was sad when we lost pat and it's sad to say that we lost john and all we can say is godspeed coach and uh we gotta just continue on the legacy but um let's continue uh, the rest of this podcast honor john madden's legacy in the best way that we can by talking about the thing he loved the most, and that's football. And we're approaching the NFL playoff just a couple of weeks away. And when you get to this point in the season, you start to kind of feel like normally. You start to feel like, okay, we're starting to see who the pretenders are and who the contenders are. And you could maybe say that a little bit in the NFC. You cannot say that in the AFC this year. Um, the Miami Dolphins just became the first team in NFL history to come from to have a seven-game losing streak, and a seven-game winning streak in the same season. Right yeah. now, they're on the winning streak side of it, so that's good for them. They're trending upwards. They, after looking like they would probably be one of the top two or three teams picking in the in the, in the the NFL draft, they're right now in the seventh spot in the AFC playoff picture. The playoffs end of the day, they'd be in. And me and you sounded crazy earlier this year when we said that the, we thought the Dolphins could perhaps win this AFC East. And it looked terrible. I know we took some breaks during this time doing sports talk. It probably was a good thing because people were probably like, where y'all at talking about these Dolphins? And now they sit only a game back behind Buffalo and New England. Buffalo right now has a tiebreaker, so they're technically right now the, the division leader. But they're only one game back, so they're not even out of it for the wild card. For, excuse me, for the AFC East title. But then when you look at the rest of these teams, Kansas City, after a rough start, they seem to have found their footing. They're right now at the top, and they're the only team again that has clinched a playoff spot in that uh, in that in that conference. They they clinched the AFC West division. A lot of it through some very inexplicable losses from teams like the Chargers and the Raiders during these past few months. And the rest of it is just a crapshoot. You know, Tennessee's got ten wins. They look to be in pretty decent shape, but you know, Indianapolis has been you know nipping at their tails as well. Uh, Indianapolis is going to have you play this next game without uh, Carson Wentz, who is now in the COVID protocols, which is, once again, becoming just a really big storyline with all these major sports. But it may be even more uh, impactful in the NFL because the COVID surge that the country and really much of the world is experiencing right now is impacting the postseason, potentially, and almost certainly, for these NFL teams. But then when you get past the Colts and the the Patriots 
Those teams both have nine wins. Of course, Buffalo, Cincinnati, they lead their respective divisions right now also with just nine wins. You got the Dolphins as eight wins. You have the Ravens, who are sitting at eighth, also with eight wins. They're on the outside looking in. Chargers, eight and seven. They're also on the outside looking in. Raiders, 10th, eight and seven. They're also on the outside looking in. And then you got some other teams that still aren't out of it. Pittsburgh, seven, seven, and one. They're not out of it yet. Cleveland had a crushing loss uh, and a, just an, a, a pathetic performance by Blake and Mayfield on Christmas Day. So glad I didn't watch that nonsense. They're in 12th, but they're not out of it yet. And the Denver Broncos sitting there at 7 and 8 as well in 13th place. So you're talking about six, six spots down from Miami at 7. Teams that are still just one game out, technically, of that wild card spot. Kendall... Is this good for football, in your opinion, to see this kind of level of mediocrity that's, that we, we're experiencing right now in the AFC? Because you know I've gone on my high horse on this for a long time, that I think the NFL sometimes suffers from hyper-parity. And this AFC, the way this is shook, shook out this year, to me, is the, is the perfect example of that. You had a team that had a seven-game losing streak that somehow could actually win their division. You had a team that lost a guy that ran for 2,000 yards. And they got 10 wins. <laughs> and they, they look actually to be kind of one of the more secure teams out of this mess that's going on. And you don't see really any of these uh, young players that we talked about, guys that we looked at as, as superstars like uh, Justin Herbert, really carry his team beyond, uh, you know, and you kind of take that next step. You know, their team is, is middling in, in the ninth spot. You know, Lamar Jackson has dealt with injuries. I, it just seems like this is kind of a weird situation going on in the AFC. Yeah, the AFC, the AFC is very interesting right now. I mean, obviously, you started with the Dolphins, so I'll say that um, I've, I, I'll admit, I, I was, I was on the bandwagon of people, as most people, when you lose seven in a row. Yeah, there's, they're a bad football team. Um, I, on, on the, and it was, on a, the other, it was an ugly seven in a row too. Like they looked like a, like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Yeah, it was very, it was very ugly. Uh, tools banged up. Uh, even when he was out there, they weren't really uh, they weren't really finding ways to win games. They couldn't find ways to win games. Um, but even during that stretch, I thought people were far too harsh on Brian Flores. People were putting him on the hot seat, calling for his job. And to me, what he did last year should have shown people: all right, this guy can coach. He took a team that was projected to be, you know, one of the bottom three or four teams in the league, like what the Texans and the Lions are this year or the Jaguars. And he took them to a 10-win season and almost making the playoffs. Um, well, obviously, yeah, they had the rough patch. But he's showing you again that Brian Flores can really coach uh, some football, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I the, the really – I mean, first of all, this draft class uh, was really good, which, you know, yeah. that's – that's you know I guess that's not news, but when I think about a guy like Jalen Waddle, um, oh he's electric. Had, yeah, you had three receivers in Waddle, Chase, uh, Devontae Smith. They were debated heavily which one was going to stink, which one was going to be good. They almost always, there's always almost always one of these guys isn't really. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's high two. level. Yeah, sometimes it's two. Really, sometimes it's only one of these guys really uh, leaps and uh, pops off the screen. And right now, all three of them look like future all-pro receivers. Yeah, I mean, Jim uh, Chase might be an all-pro this year. I mean, that's how dominant he's been. 
Yeah. He's start, yeah he started he's, in the Pro Bowl. He started in the Pro Bowl. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Waddle presents uh, presents a, a weapon that this Miami Dolphins team. I mean, they didn't have last year, obviously. Um, and they, I mean, they absolutely need this year because he's the only real juice that they have on their offense. But I feel like it's just enough for them to to win games. We saw it on Monday night. Obviously, the Ian Book game. Uh, you know, they didn't have to do much, you know, offensively to win the game. No, but still, uh, having a guy like Jalen Waddle has given Tua just enough weapons to be successful. I I've stuck with I look I've I like Tua coming out of the draft. I love Tua coming out of the draft, uh, if healthy. And to me, so far, he's been a little Mark Sanchezy, um, where I feel like he's good, but. Like you, he can't really win anything unless you have an elite defense and weapons around him at this stage. And the Dolphins have a really high level defense, mm-hmm. and they've got a weapon in Jalen Waddle, and they have some guys in Gasecki and Parker. But you know, and they're going to be dangerous because, like you said, in in the, the the most consistent thing to do in the two most consistent things to do in the NFL are play defense and run the football. And those things travel everywhere for the most part. You can kind of control, you can control on those, on, on, in those areas of the game. The dolphins do that pretty well. Um, but you know, well, I mean, at least they, they don't run the football as well as they, as as you like, but they, they defend. Um, and so you feel like the defense is going to be, is going to be, uh, good no matter what. Which makes them dangerous in the playoffs because you know they're gonna, you know they're going to be a tough team to score on. It's just you know if that other team, whoever they match up against, if it's Cincinnati, if it's uh, Buffalo, if it's you know uh, you know I mean we probably won't be Kansas City, but you know if it's some team with an explosive offense, if it's L.A. the Chargers, you know I don't know are they going to be able to consistently score against that team? So that's the problem with the Miami Dolphins, but. Yeah, man, this AFC. I mean, in terms of the the parity, I just feel like it, it's it's interesting. But I, I it, part of it, I think, has been, you know, it's been, you know, sort of, you know, it's, it's parody on steroids with this with, with this COVID COVID thing because a, a, a team that can be dom that that should be dominant one week could lose their their thousand yard running back, or, yeah, or, or their Pro Bowl quarterback. And now yeah. they're very ordinary, you know. Yeah, for a week. I mean, the, the Indianapolis Colts have been have been playing excellent football. Yeah. They're now pretty much out their entire offensive line and they're starting quarterback. I like if Jonathan Taylor doesn't have a good game this week, I can't put that on. You know, it's and then and you have a team like the Raiders who have just been just almost trying to hold it together, not necessarily yeah. because of COVID, but just because of all the it's issues they've dealt yeah. with. <laughs> and you know, they come into this game now with a real shot. I mean, I think that going into this week. Nobody would have, gave, would have gave the Raiders really a real chance um, in this game going on the road against uh, against the Colts. But Red Hot Colts, you know they got they, they got the Browns a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know now with Nick Mullins out there, and then yeah. you, you know you beat the you know, Broncos, and you know they're kind of we know their offense isn't that great. And Drew now Locke. you kind of you stumbled your way. Yeah, you got Drew Locke out there. You stumbled your way into two wins in a row, and now in a, in a big game for wild card positioning, you got a great chance to go head to head against a team that's ahead of you, and that could make a big difference when it comes to 
uh, head-to-head matchups and how the seeding will work, how teams may get eliminated potentially. And now yes. it, it's like it's like uh, it's so funny. I don't I don't usually mention media people's names often, um, and I don't even agree with this take. But I, I think this take actually would make sense for this what we're seeing in the NFL. You know, Skip Bayless always talks about how he hates um, he he hates the NCAA tournament because he feels like it's too random. He's like right. you're just taking two teams and totally different conferences and sending them to Idaho and saying who's going to win that game. You're just like, I don't know. Like, he doesn't find that fun. I find that exciting and great. Like, 99% of everybody wants college basketball, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I almost feel like this is more like that. Like, whatever he thinks that the NCAA tournament is, is what's actually happening in the NFL. Because you're yeah. like, here's this team that was just, just they, got, they got just demolished by the Chiefs just three weeks ago. And it's like, oh, but yeah, I mean, you, you play a Nick Mullins once, you play a Drew Locke once, and now you, you got the Colts without a starting quarterback, and hey, the Raiders might finagle their way into being right back into the playoff picture somehow, even though they've been playing terrible football for like a whole, really pretty much since John Gruden left. Like, it's it's like, it's bizarre. But this is what the sport is now. I mean, this is just how, how really how all the sports are. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it soon with the NBA, but... In the NFL, I mean, it's like it is a Russian roulette when it comes to just what to expect from week to week. The one team that I know what to expect and I know not to expect really anything from in the AFC that's in that mix right now is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, <laughs> ben Roethlisberger, it is what it is. You know, I mean, you just know I, I know what I can expect. They're not going to score more than 13 points. Uh, I mean, I know they scored 19 a couple weeks ago. I mean, I don't know how they got to 19. Yeah, they, they, um, they, they, they did hang 28 on the Vikings after they got down by a bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the Vikings are another story we can get, <laughs> get into at some point. But, yeah, uh, yeah, this Pittsburgh Steelers team, you know. Well, yeah, their I, offense is just a disaster right now. Yeah, it's anemic. I mean, I feel bad for Najee Harris because he's playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Uh, he's got no no pass game uh, I mean, besides himself. <laughs> um, the quarterback, obviously, you know, it is what it is. I know, you know, Antonio Brown is like, they called me a madman. And, <laughs> you know, Le'Veon Bell is like, they called me a madman. But, yeah, I mean, this this Pittsburgh Steelers offense is, is one of the worst in the league. I don't know how they've got seven wins. Even if you look at the games they've played, the games that have been close, it really is, like, against bad teams. Like, they haven't played and well. Like, and, like, they, they, and, like, none of their losses are close. Yeah, and like they get they, blown out. They getting blown out by everybody. Like besides the really besides that that wild game they had against the Chargers midseason, they got. I mean that Viking game they were getting blown out. They they ended up making it close at the end. Right. But every other game they getting demolished when they lose. They're not playing yeah. a, a a tough nip and tuck kind of game. And they and, and they when they win like and when they win they winning by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, <laughs> they mean, they're not they're not getting no easy wins. No, it's, it's like crazy. One of the worst seven and seven absolutely teams that I've ever seen. Absolutely. Their, their record is disgusting, and it, it kind of is fitting for what this team is. And they tied with the Detroit Lions. I mean, that's all you can tell. And we, you know, we could, you know, everybody, you know, let's talk about Ben Roethlisberger. Some people like to point to Mike Tomlin. But, I mean, we got to start talking about that, that Pittsburgh Steelers front office. Because you just look at the development of this roster – it don't look like there's been a development of the roster. How I mean, how many years have we been talking about how the offensive line is in need of you know massive upgrades? And I, I mean, they've they've tried to rehaul it, but it don't seem like the rehauling has worked. They rehauled the receiving core, 
Um, but that's not like the only thing you could really say that's been upgraded since the team yeah. was clearly in rebuilding mode. Like it's funny we, because when we saw the triple B's was kind of done, you no, know, when that era of Pittsburgh Steelers football was over, it was like, okay. There needs to be a retooling happening, and I'm like, okay, they got T.J. Watt and they got a couple of receivers, and I don't see no other retooling. They they they, they look slow. They look old, even though they're not that old actually, and they just look very mediocre. The Steelers remind the Steelers to me are a product of not of what happens when you you have to because they've consistently been good and they've consistently been you know uh competitive under Mike Tomlin there's been an attrition and a, just a lack of talent infusion uh you know who they look they like Kendall seen during the draft you know who they look like they look like the Giants at the end of Eli Manning's run yeah which yeah, is sad because yeah, look where the Giants bad. are now yeah, Giants still haven't recovered from not fit, not figuring out the end of Eli's run correctly. Yeah. By the way, why do you feel about Judge and Jones? Oh, being being somehow given the green light <laughs> before the season ended, before they even tried to hire another general manager to do a real evaluation, that those guys are totally in the clear and rearing to go for twenty twenty two. I just think well, that this 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 front office, or not really now, it becomes just really ownership at this point. I've never seen the Giants in this stage of ineptitude in my entire life watching Giant football, being a, a lifelong New Yorker for the most part of my life. Like this is just bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what. I mean, we talked about it off air about a, a rumor that was floated around. In the media, the New York media, that Phil Sims may wind up being president of football operations. Yeah. Um. I to me, if if you're telling me Judge and and Daniel Jones are coming back, like I feel like that's the kind of move that may happen. Like, really? Cause well, I don't, you think that's more likely that that's going to happen? If yeah, I think that makes it more likely because I feel like John Mara is the one saying Judge and, and Jones are back, and so. Like, I'm not saying Phil Sims is going to come and be a figurehead, but, you know, they're going to hire somebody that's not going to, like, have their own identity, you know? If you hire Lewis Riddick to be the GM, like, does Lewis Riddick really want Daniel Jones? There's no... I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, I would be yeah. shocked. Yeah, I wouldn't think... I wouldn't think that I mean, he'd if, he, if, he has, if, he has two, if he has two eyes... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's watched any... I mean, he's done some of them giant games on my football. I mean, I... Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'll be Blue stunned Blue. somehow he wanted to I, I he wanted to run Blue. it back with those guys. He doesn't he doesn't comment on personnel uh that often because I think he knows at least particularly personnel that he knows he made for a team that he may end up working for next year. Uh That's funny. So someone I was reading an article and somebody was like, That's true, but if you listen to the Monday Night Football broadcast what he's doing, he'd be flaming the Giants. Yeah, I don't really the Giants are the one team. And and, and 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 to be fair, no, there's a little bit of Stuff there. Remember, he interviewed for the job when Gettleman got the job. Yeah. So, yeah. so there could be a you know he's still kind of holding on to that a little bit, or maybe he's kind of telling John Mara through the TV. Yeah. Yo, fam, the these guys ain't it, man. <laughs> and yeah. like maybe I can come in and fix this. Somebody yeah. was like, he put a little extra sauce on the Giant broadcast. Somehow the NFL decided the Giants being on Monday Night Football was great for America. The I, Giants I don't know. And the Bears. Like, how do these teams? <laughs> the Bears are always on national TV. I don't know what. 
I don't know what they were doing, man. I don't know what they were. And I feel like when we did when we did our podcast right before the season started, we looked at these games and we kept saying, man, the Giants this late in the season running at football is very risky. Yeah, you know, the bad. Bears this late in national season. I hope just they must think Justin Fields is gonna be lighting it up because I'm like, yeah, that's very risky. And then, sure enough, we those some of the worst uh, national TV games we've had have, have included those those two teams. I just you know. I, it's funny, Kendall, when you watch when you watch bad ownership, to me it's almost like in sports, it's almost like watching like a sitcom or watching some kind of television where you can kind of see the mistakes happening almost like in slow motion. And that's almost what I feel while watching John Mara. Ownership to me in sports, unless you're you know, it seems like, you know, obviously Jerry Jones, excuse me, he he you know, runs a lot of things with the Cowboys and we I'm not gonna get into whether or not that's right or wrong uh, but uh you know cuban does a lot for the dallas mavericks again not gonna have a conversation goes right or wrong but typically outside besides those guys whenever i start hearing the owner's feelings the owner's thoughts the owner's decision making more usually that means things are gonna get worse like to me when, when john when the giants were winning in this recent era of football it was because ernie of and and um and 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 uh, I can't well, I can't remember uh, the brother's name after Jerry him. Reese. Reese, Jerry Reese. They yeah. were really running the show, and the Mara, John Mara kind of was just he was just the owner. Now I keep seeing John Mara's thinking this. John Mara's doing this. John Mara's thinks that the coaches stay. John Mara thinks that the quarterbacks should stay. And I'm like, wait, since when is John Mara not? Why is he? Why is he getting more involved? Like this is yeah. he he needs to just clean house and then put someone in to make all decisions and then he could no assist that person but it's like it's almost like to me it's almost like square peg round hole it's like he's like i'm gonna make this work how i'm used to making it work and it's like well you didn't do it this way (laughs) that's not how you made this work you had a lot of confidence in ernie corsi and corsi assured you that jerry reese could do the job and jerry reese for the first you know three or four years when he was running Things did a great job, and you just let them guys have at it. You just you were just a checkbook, but now it's like he seems to be making these decisions about how what, how football should be played for the New York Football Giants, and I'm like, it's like again, it's like watching in slow motion. I'm like, this is this is not going to get any better with the way this thing this thing is going, and it's sad because it's like you know New York Giant football means a lot to people in New York, New York, and in New Jersey, and it means a lot to the NFL, and I'm I'm. I'm very concerned that we're we're like we're already in the dark ages, but like I'm concerned that the light is nowhere near the end of the tunnel. When I see you're bringing back Joe Judge, who is a disciplinarian, who has the most undisciplined team in the NFL, and then you have Daniel Jones, who's supposed to be Danny Dimes, but he can't keep giving the ball to the other team. He's throwing dimes to the other team's sec- secondary. Like this is this is just not good on any on any level. This is and this is also like. This is one of those moves where it's like, if you know, like if, if the Giants started the season out like 0-4 next year, like Joe Judge would, he may get fired or he may be like on a serious, serious hot seat. Like people will be calling for him to get fired at that point. And so you never want to start the season off with a coach on the hot seat right. or a coach where you feel like, man, if they lose one game, people are going to be calling <laughs> for this guy's job. Uh, or if you same thing with the quarterback position where if, if this guy – screws up one time, people are going to be calling for the backup. Like, ideally, you want 
to go into the season with confidence in your head coaching position and with your quarterback position. Um, I don't can't imagine how Giants fans would feel confident with Joe Judge and Daniel Jones. Now, look, can things get can things go great and things go, you know, I wouldn't say lucky, but can things take a turn for the better? Absolutely. See it all the time. But but let me ask you this, Kendall. Because yeah. that's because that's what that's what John Maron is saying. He's saying, and I mean, he's got to be saying in his head that look, the things may look bad now. We had some bad breaks with injuries, but things could turn around. And let's say, okay, let's play this game with you and John Mara and say, okay, let's do that. What is the ceiling for a Joe Judge and Daniel Jones led Giants football team that is healthy and maybe makes you know marginal realistic upgrades next season? Like, realistically, I mean, look, the NFC is tough, like, but I would say is that a nine wins? Like okay, team. nine wins seems a lot, but okay, let's live in the eight ring win range area. <laughs> is Joe Judge, who's going to be a lame duck going into next season, does that win him another year? Uh, like I'll, would would the, would the fans allow it? Let's 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 take John Merrick out of that equation because you know fans have right. to say in this too. Would fans allow another Joe Judge year if next year the Giants win eight games? They're eight and nine. They miss the playoffs. I because I, I agree that to me is like the best case scenario. And if that's the best case scenario, then why the hell are you bringing them back? <laughs> yeah, the Giants are about winning Super Bowls. They're about going deep into the playoffs. And I'm not saying you're supposed to. You know, turn things around in a heartbeat. But we're saying that's that's the best case scenario. And we're not talking about a team that has these great young prospects that we're expecting to get better besides, uh, you know, the wide receiver, Tony. He looks like he's a real stud. Um, Yeah, he's got to stay healthy. That's a a big issue. But he can stay healthy. He looks like a stud. But besides Kadarius, Tony, this is not when I talk about rosters. Oh, it's developing. They got a bunch of young guys that are going to come in. And, and we hope Saquon time, a year off injury could could play better. Right, but, uh, he, you know, and he's not an old guy, but he's been declining every year of his career. Right. And usually running backs don't get more healthy <laughs> if they have injury <laughs> issues. That doesn't normally, again, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it doesn't normally happen. Unless you're Cam Akers and you return from like Achilles well, yeah, five that, months. That, that dude's a, he, I mean, he's, in the, he's on the Adrian Peterson a workout plan clearly because I don't I don't know how he's gonna pull that off. I can't wait to see. I thought you were gonna say he's on the David Boston workout plan. Oh come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me not get fired. <laughs> Shout out to Cam Akers, man. Hopefully, uh, I hope he comes back healthy and and um trying to upstage Kevin Durant when it comes to Achilles uh, returns. But I just you know I'm you no know, I'm a Jeff fan. I, I I do root for the Giants as you know. Like I'm not someone one of these Jeff fans who hates the Giants. I root for the Giants pretty hard like I want to see them do well just when except when they play against the Jets and I'm kind of just looking at this thing I'm just like what like what what are they actually doing like I mean you know it's bad when Joe Judge is coaching his second year in the league in training camp and like 10 guys just quit football Yeah, yeah, they just quit football yeah, people, they were just like about <laughs> like yo it wasn't like one guy it was yeah, like a dozen three guys yeah, I mean, it was like three or four guys. I'm not guys like the span of like a week. They were just like, I don't, they, they they lost the love of the game. It took Andrew Luck being destroyed by defensive 300, li- 300 pound lineman for eight seasons before he was like, yo, I can't do this anymore. 
it took a week <laughs> being cursed out by Joe Judge. And guys who dedicated their entire lives to being football players were just like, this ain't it for me anymore. Yeah. That's the guy you that think, you think that can turn this around that's going to get you guys back to the promised land? To me, it's just wasting time to waste time. You're not, you don't fire him this year. Okay, great. There's no way in hell he's going to survive next season. So what are we waiting for? And yeah. it, you know Gettleman's not coming back. So why wouldn't you allow a new president to do a, a true evaluation? And my thing is if the new president does a, a true evaluation and, decide, and he decides he wants to give Judge and Jones a chance, that's different to me. I wouldn't agree with it, but my thing is, okay, maybe the guy feels like he can change the roster in a massive way that can really uplift that, that's, uh, change yeah. these guys. But the guy doesn't. The, the new guy is not going to have a say. And that's He's gonna, he, he has no choice but to try to revamp this terrible roster. That's the thing that because otherwise me. they're staring at another five win season. Yeah, that's the thing that bothers me about this even more so than judges Jones, because uh, um, the coach coaching. I mean, coaching is important, but um, in the NFL you need you need to have the personnel, and I just don't think the judge is. I mean, he's good enough. He's, I mean, he's good enough if you've got like a bomb squad around you. But I think that there's. I think there's been a bit of a misconception. I guess it depends on who you listen to, but you know, there's a feeling that the quarterback market amongst a lot of fans is weak because the quarterback draft class isn't as strong as it's been in years past, and that is true. But I think the quarterback market on the veteran side is going to be a lot better than it normally is, and it has been in recent years. I agree with that. And you know, I'm not saying they're going to get Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I mean, but, I but why I don't understand, Kendall, is why don't you at least let it play out? Yeah, you let it play out. I That's mean, what doesn't make sense to me. Is Russell let the Wilson. new GM let the new GM come in and reevaluate the guys that are there and let the chips fall because you don't know where these chips are going to land. Yeah, I mean, we didn't Russell know that Matt Stafford's going to end up in Los Angeles this year. Yeah, like that Russell was a shock. Is, is going to be available whether or not uh, whether or not the Giants want to bring him in, whether or not. They feel he's worth it, whether or not he wants the Giants or all other conversations. But I think he'll be a guy that could potentially be on the move. Uh, we know we don't know what the deals with Deshaun Watson, but we know on some level he may be available. Um, we know that, you know, there are going to be plenty of guys that are starters on teams right now, besides Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, that may not be brought back by their teams or may not want to be brought back by their teams. Guys like. Kirk Cousins, guys like Derek Carr, J- James, um, James Winston. James Winston was a starter yeah. uh, coming into the season. Like there are guys out there, Jimmy Garoppolo. We yeah. know is going to be traded. You know there are guys that are starters around the league that I think most people feel are better than Daniel Jones. That will be potentially available or certainly available in the case of a guy like Jimmy G. So. I don't know why you would, like you said, I don't know why you would close the door on that. On top of the fact that there's going to be draft prospects available. I mean, Kenny Pickett is from New Jersey. I, I mean, I yeah. like him better than I like Daniel Jones. But And we're talking about, you know. we're talking about, you know, the draft thing being weak. But it's like, you reach to get Daniel Jones. Like, who, yeah. the, who the hell are you to say a, a draft quarterback, like, you know, not you, but I'm talking about you using the Giants. Who the hell are you to say yeah. that none of these quarterbacks could yeah. actually, when you do your evaluation and, and maybe bring him in for workouts and pressure you enough to where maybe you decide, you know what, maybe this is the guy. You took yeah. Daniel Jones at six. What are you talking yeah. about? 
Yeah, I mean, you the last that like where's my I need you know I can't one day I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a virtual soundboard so I can use sound effects on this podcast. I need my big boy in the ATL um the ATL thing where it's like I know it ain't who I think it is. And it's talking about yeah. the New York Giants talking yeah. about quarterbacks in the draft being weak. Y'all y'all talking really? Come on, man. I, this this giant thing, man. It's it's depressing. It's depressing because yeah. again, you would think I'm talking about the Jets because the way I, the passion I have. Because the Giants, again, they mean a lot to New York, and they mean a lot to the NFL. And I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, yo, this looks like this is going to be some ineptitude for Worst case scenario years. for me, if I'm the Giants, if I'm, if I'm running the Giants, this is a Mario, this is a Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill situation where I don't trust Daniel Jones as a player. I don't trust him to stay healthy. So I'm going to bring in a veteran backup, maybe somebody right. like a Jameis Winston or somebody that didn't work out in another place and maybe a drew lock whoever it is and i'm gonna bring that guy in maybe the, the quote-unquote backup but i may actually like the backup better than the starter and maybe the backup becomes the starter at some point um and that's what we saw with marcus mariota in tennessee it's not ryan Tannehill, but to me no way am i going with going into 2022 with daniel jones as a starter and and mike glennon is my backup or jay Fromm is my backup like that, that can't happen. Um, and I, I'll be surprised if whoever the next GM is lets that happen. Um, regardless of what John Merrill wants, but well, I can't really say that he's the owner. But uh, hmm. the the last thing I wanted to say was yeah. the Arizona Cardinals, man. Yeah, I wanted to get I wanted to get to the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. We we talk about these teams in the AFC, and the NFC has been way more. It's been way more high level, and I think you, we see the teams at the top, the teams in the playoff picture trending up. Green Bay, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, the Rams, you know, I mean, Tampa's got injuries, but you still feel good about them going to the playoffs. But then you've got the Arizona Cardinals who are trending down, downward, it feels like, uh, a steep decline week in and week out. I don't know. I mean, I picked them to, to go to the Super Bowl. I think I picked them to win the Super Bowl um, before the season started. I picked Kylie to win MVP. Uh, did not. I probably should have baked in the fact that he was going to miss three or four games, but did not. Yeah, that's yeah, that's becoming an annual thing at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and what seems to come with the annual Kyler three to four game injury is the Kyler post-injury decline. I mean, we saw this last year. He was playing at an MVP level, then he hurts his ankle, and he's not playing on an MVP level again when he comes back. This season, it's been almost the exact same thing. He's playing on an MVP level, injures the ankle. Gets, gets banged up, yeah. Comes back, and he doesn't look like the same guy. He's still good. You know, you can still, in theory, win with him, but the way that team is designed, they need Kyler Murray to be the most dynamic guy on the field. Um and he hasn't been that. And then on top of that, you throw in, obviously, Watt got hurt early in the season. But now DeAndre Hopkins is out. Uh, and then we've seen some games where, I mean, they had a chance to, to be in the game yeah, against the yeah. and, and They that's, had a that's, chance to be in the game against the Cardinals. Yeah. And then the game gets sort of mismanaged. And that's where I can be. Kingsbury. Because I told, I told you, you and Sham, shout out to Shamari, host of the Imperial Broadcast, co-host on Hero Talk, that after this season – unless there's a great playoff run or they maybe play great these next two games, I would fire Cliff Kingsbury. 
to to me, he looks completely over his head when it comes to big close games and the way he coaches them. And if you think about how most of the season's gone, the games that they've won, they've been running away team from teams. And you know he can scheme up a good game. He's a good offensive mind. I don't think he's a bad X's and O's guy per se, but he doesn't know how to manage a game if his life depended on him. And this Cardinals team, their aspirations are no longer, oh, we want to be a cutesy little fun team that maybe can compete for a playoff spot. They clearly have, have ratcheted up their expectations for a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl. There's no way you could tell me watching that Rams game, watching that Colts game, they saw a guy on that sideline that instills confidence in you that in the biggest stage of all, the Super Bowl, that one, he could even get you there. But let's say somehow you got there, that in a really close game, he would be right on top of all the, the tight game management decisions you'd have to make. Because he can't seem to do math still. He can't seem to understand that when you're down two scores, the most important thing is to score as soon as the quickest. The quickest. And his inability to not understand that cost him any chance against the Rams and Colts. Games where those they didn't play well throughout those games, but you know what? Those games are going to happen. You can still win those games. You got to give your team a you can't you, you can't not give your team a chance when you're the head they, coach. They actually got the the the, the low percentage onside, onside kick, kick against the Rams in the Rams games, but they and they still couldn't get a hail mary off because they had no time and they had terrible clock management. Yeah, the, the, the play calling was time. was crazy. It was like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. like, man. Cliff Kingsbury, I, I you know I, we were singing his praise for most of this season, and I go back to that uh, Packers game early in the year, the first loss. Yeah, the, you know the Packers lose all these guys to COVID, and he don't seem to manage that. He didn't seem to manage that game correctly. Yep, they lose on a. I mean, you know, you won an interception. I I don't know what happened. I don't know if that's his fault. If that's Green's fault. Tyler's fault. What's going on? But, but they don't seem to know how to fit. They don't just know how to figure out late game management on the red zone. Like yeah, I'm like every loss they got besides getting blown out by the Lions, you've seen some really suspect game management from K- Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, and they just you, this is a, the NFL stands for not for long. You just can't deal with this. Like this yeah, just can't be and, a thing and, anymore. So when I'm again, if I'm making the decisions, if I'm the I guess the, the, if I'm the Bidwell family, yeah, this guy's got to go at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean. What I'll say about that is that there's a lot of things in the NFL that you can't control. You can't control COVID, obviously. You can't control guys staying healthy. Can't control weather. Yeah, you can't control the weather. Um, in theory, you can't really control what the other team is doing, you know, how they decide to call a game and whatnot. Um, and you can't control how well your players perform mm-hmm. on the field individually, but Thing, the things that you can control, you need to control. And like clock management, you need to optimize those things or else you're not doing your job as well as it needs to be done. Um, can you get by without doing that stuff? Of course. You know, of course, you can always take shortcuts and, and sometimes get by. But that stuff catches up to you and it causes you games and sometimes it'll it'll catch up to you in the playoffs and at that point your season's over and in the NFL in a one game elimination situation 
that becomes a lot more costly. So, yeah, I mean, we'll I mean we'll see how he performs in the playoffs. We'll see how Kyler performs in the playoffs. Um, they still have a ton of weapons. You know, hopefully JJ Watt can get back. Hopefully Hopkins can get back. Um, but yeah, I mean the NFC playoffs, regardless, are going to be electric. Oh, uh, um, the, the NFC is big boy football. It's the it's it's the varsity league. Yeah, AFC is the JV league. The, the NFC, all them teams, the the Packers, the Cowboys, the Rams, the Buccaneers, those teams got Jims and Joes. Yeah, that's some and, big boy. That's some big boy football. And those teams lock horns, and, and it all may about three weeks from now. It all may rest on the health of of Aaron Rodgers' toe and COVID. Yeah, you can't, that's the other. That's can't the other. About COVID. Yeah, because you know Tom Brady just missed one of these games. You're like, oh man, <laughs> well, there goes there goes the Buck season. I'm not wishing yeah. that on him, by the way. Not at all. Which I'm just saying in terms of, of course, just yeah. anybody. You know, that yeah, you know, it's, it's just, a possibility, of course. Right. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if 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 Rodgers. He seems to be, he's been playing well, but he also seems to be playing pain. He seems to be, he, yeah, really cutting these games out. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a long way before we get to the Super Bowl. There's a long way before we get to the NFC Championship game. Is he going to be able to make it a month? And, and it's, you know what's weird? And I don't know, maybe people listening to this and maybe, you know, you will say this is a dumb guy take, but I will say this anyway because <laughs> I'm, I'm fearless when I come on this podcast. You almost feel like with that toe, playing in zero degree weather in January can't be helpful, right? I mean, if it numbs it out, I I, I don't know. I mean, I maybe, yeah, maybe that's a basic point. Maybe you numb, but to me, I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to play in a dome? Like you playing the Cowboys or Rams? Do you want to play in Florida? Right. Like, they're that's not. You, there's no way they're gonna give up home field advantage. But I almost one yeah. But I almost wonder. I'm like, we talk about him trying to survive these games. He's, you know, to win to go to Super Bowl, he's got to play two games in what is going to be ten degree weather, possible snowstorms. I'm right. like, I can't be good for your toe. I would think. Right. I'm not saying he traded away, but just from a layman's man's looking at it in a kind of an objective look at it, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe would it be easier to be playing on again, no conditions, controlled environment, as you said, you know. Artificial turf, <laughs> the Cardinals in the sunny, me, sunny Florida. The thing about the Cardinals and the Rams that scare me the most, on on the bad side for those teams, is that of all the teams, of all those teams in the in the divi- in the conference, those two teams, I don't think their style of plays travel. I don't think that the Rams can win those games in those conditions like that. Well, they can't, run the fo- they can't run the football. They can't run the football. If the other team is running the football, I mean, yes, Donald can can, can wreak havoc, but the pass rush isn't going to be as important. Ramsey isn't going to be as important. Um, when you think about the Cardinals, again, like you said, just can't consistently run the football, don't play – don't play physical. They don't finish, you know, plays physically. Uh, they're a finesse football team. And, you know, in a game in in a dome, yeah, I mean, the Cardinals have as good of a chance as anybody. But now the Cowboys can run the football. The Cowboys can play all styles of play. The 
Bucks, when healthy, can play all styles of play. The Packers can play all styles of play uh, in all conditions. Um, so those teams tend to be the ones that th- you probably feel best about being able to run the table in the conference uh, and maybe get to the Super Bowl. But yeah, I mean, this, you know, I mean, we always know that the Super Bowl, anything can happen. There's no such thing as the Super Bowl being the NFC Championship game because anything could happen when you get right. to that last game. But it does feel like, man, whatever team makes it out of this gauntlet feels like. Yeah, it's like, the, it's, like, it's like as long as you don't play against the Chiefs, y'all going to be straight. That's what it feels like. Yeah, the Chiefs are the one team where you're like, yeah, the Chiefs, you know, like, all right, this probably is, not this. even going to be favored. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but all the other, they got, if somehow the Chiefs mess up somewhere, and they got to face any of them other teams. I'd feel very good if I was any oh, last of those top tier NFC teams. And this is this is going to be, I guess, my my the hottest take. Uh, and I've, I've been, I, you've you've heard me on this spiel, um, off air. But I haven't really mm-hmm. talked. We haven't really talked about it on air. But I'm 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 the, I'm going to be the Grinch post Christmas and say that the biggest frauds. I don't fraud might be strong. But the the most overrated team right now in the NFL is the New England Patriots. Oh, um, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, they're the most. Over, I mean, there are people that are talking about they can win a Super Bowl or they can get to the Super Bowl or, uh, you know, they're one. Of, they're the most dangerous team in the AFC outside of outside of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I don't think any of that is true. Um, I don't think they can get to the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, can they win a playoff game? I mean, of course. I think any team that makes the playoffs could probably win mm-hmm. a playoff game, but. Um, I don't think that uh, it, it, unless they get the right matchup, which is possible, I don't feel like their style of play, and I just don't think they have the horses and the the the, the weapons to be able to 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 make plays consistently in a playoff game. It's not a knock on Mac Jones; he's had a terrific season. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't have the weapons. Um, he hasn't proven that. He can win games with his arm. Uh, their running game is terrific. Yes, their defense yes. is terrific. But in the playoffs, you need to be able to throw the football. I mean, it's not so as they, if they can't, yeah. but they're just not going to be able to. If 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 a team hangs twenty eight on them, they, and it may be lose. easier said than done. Right. But we saw it this week with Buffalo. Like, and that's the playoff game right there. Right, you know, you're, you're yeah. playing against Josh Allen. Yeah, he's playing high, well. le- high level quarterback. Yep, you're uh, playing a high level quarterback. offense that you know has the capability to play well. You know, right? There's no, there's no sixty mile an hour wind. Right, you know, it's, yeah, a, it's, exactly. a real, it's a real, it's a real football game. It's, a real, it's not the not not these smoke and mirrors, and right. this is what happens. We saw it the week prior against the Indianapolis Colts. Right, don't. <laughs> A playoff game, like real, real, real superstars on the other team. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like it's yeah. it's different. You're, you're right. That's my issue with the New England Patriots, and I, we and we've both been saying this for weeks, even when they were winning games. I was like, I don't believe in this team. And obviously, you know, again, you know what? Because to me, the the Patriots in the playoffs this year, if they do make it, because this is not guaranteed, is yeah. interesting. Because to me, it's going to be like, can the 2001 Patriots? Win a Super Bowl in today's NFL because that's what you're asking. That's because that's what this team is. You know, people. You know, we don't necessarily know if Mac Jones is you no, know, and I don't think Mac Jones is as like as great in like two minute situations as Tom was even that young. But 
essentially the functionalities of those teams are exactly the same. Great defense. Don't turn the ball over on offense. Rely on the running game. Don't beat yourself. And try to get some trick plays. Try to get some special teams plays to mix in some some splash plays that can be differences in some of these games. It's the exact same formula to, to, to win a Super Bowl. And in 2001, you could win a Super Bowl that way. It was still unlikely, but you could do it, and we saw them do it. The question of the Patriots is, can you can that kind of team win a Super Bowl in 2021? My think, my thought is, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's how that's how I feel. They could they prove me wrong? One hundred percent. It's it's scary to even say anything against Bill Belichick. Something that he can't do. But the word you use, and I agree, is they're a very smoke and mirrors team. They got really great players on defense, and they got one of the greatest defense, maybe the greatest defense coach ever coaching them. So they play some good defense. Their offense, they got a great offensive coordinator who's just putting them in the right position to be successful, and they're calling a good game. They have a very good offensive line, but they don't have a lot of explosive playmakers. They don't have easy ways to score. And when you're playing in the playoffs, and you know if they don't win a division— even if they do win a division, you're talking about having to beat like three good teams before you get to the Super Bowl. Do I think that the way they're playing, they could beat three good teams? No. Could they beat one? Could they beat two? Maybe. No, one definitely. Yeah. Two seems like a lot, but maybe. Three in a row to get to the Super Bowl? No way. No way. You know, and that's where yeah. I, I agree with you that the Patriots, um, there was talk about them being the best team in the AFC. It was nonsense. It was they, they're an exceptionally coached football team. They got, again, I don't want to just put it all on Bill. They got great players on defense and a great offensive line. I, they have they have guys. Yeah, they're a good football team. They man. don't got guys in the right spots needed to win a Super Bowl. That's the problem. Not unless. They don't, they don't, got, that dog on the, they don't got that dog on the outside, that wide receiver. You know, Damian Harris is a good running back. Um, you know, they don't, but they don't got a quarterback that if the game just kind of becomes one of those crazy shootout playoff games that happens sometimes, that he can hang 45 in the other team. They don't have that. Look so at they, what Joe Now your margin for error is so small, it becomes almost, you know, uh, uh, just like, it's like microscopic to try to yeah. win playoff games against like Patrick Mahomes. Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, your margin of error is so microscopic, there's no way you're winning three games in a row like that. Yeah. Yeah. Great I year. Mean, Great year, great job by Mac, great job by Bill Belichick, but no, they're not a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, Yeah, McDaniels is a hell of an OC, but no, they're not a Super Bowl contender. Right. And just when you look at the makeup of all the other teams we mentioned, it's some teams that have, you know, that don't have 10 wins, like Buffalo, like Cincinnati, um, or, you know, Indianapolis, or you look at the makeup of those teams that do have 10 wins in the NFC, they all have what you mentioned. They've got the quarterback that you feel like, I mean, you, you mm-hmm. know, Wentz is sort of a, a question mark, but you feel like if, can he muster up a game like that? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I don't, can he consistently do it as a question of Carson Wentz? But the rest of these, the rest of those teams have the quarterback or they've got the receiver or they've had the, the elite running back. They've got some combination of that. And the Patriots, like you said, they have an elite offensive line and an elite defense, which, again, I talk about what what is almost always consistent in football is the run game and the defense, which is why the Patriots have been good 
which is why they've been able to win games and they don't get blown out, which is why they're a hard team to put away. And the, the Buffalo Bills had an incredibly tough time right. putting that team away as well as they played as, as you know, sort of poorly as the Patriots. Yeah, yeah you, can't, you can't play a bad football game and beat this team. No. That, that uh, is factual. Yeah, you, you have to play well. You've got to play well because Belichick is going to have that team ready. Right. Um, but the problem is that in the playoffs, very rarely do teams play poorly. Yeah. Uh, the, the Patriots' A game is every other playoff team's B game. Basically, yeah. So if you play your B game, you should be fine. Yeah. Or you, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a fight, but you can win. You play your A game, you're going to beat this team. If you're talking about these teams again, Bills, the pay, uh, the Chiefs, you know, we'll see Did what happens with Derrick Henry. Cincinnati, you play your A game, you'll beat this team. You don't, if you don't play this nothing, you're going to lose probably because they're not going to, they're not, they don't really play bad games. That's not, yeah. like you said, their losses are all very competitive. But yeah, I, I will see. You know, again, a lot of people were, Jumping on the Patriots bandwagon, uh, you were very steadfast, not jumping on it. I was right behind you. We'll see who ends up being right when the time the playoff time uh, rolls around. Let's talk NBA basketball before we head out uh, this week, Kendall. So I want to talk about the Lakers. Right now, this is 17-18. They needed another heroic performance from LeBron James to beat the Houston Rockets in a road game to snap a five-game losing streak. And there's been a lot of questions about What's wrong with the Lakers, and can they be fixed? And if they can be fixed, what needs to be done? And a lot of people are pointing the finger at none other than Russell Westbrook. And Kendall, I told you off air this, and I was telling everybody this that I'm talking basketball with, that I find commentary online about Russell Westbrook to be completely hilarious because <laughs> it is so devolved. Is that the word? Devolved? Devoid? Maybe? Devoid. Devoid. Yeah. Is so devoid of common sense that it's just like it's like a comedy sketch watching people talk about this man. Yeah, because you know it's it's even, it's like worse than even like LeBron commentary. You know, LeBron commentary can be hyperbolic, but I mean he is one of the greatest five players of all time, so it kind of has to be hyperbolic in a way where so you almost kind of expect it. Russ is a great player, one of the greatest point guards of all time, but obviously not LeBron's level, and he definitely ain't LeBron's level currently as a player. And you watch this, and it's like either Russell Westbrook should be playing in the Drew League and not in the NBA, or Russell Westbrook is Magic Johnson. That's that's the commentary. That's it. There is no middle ground. There is no chance for any kind of um, kind of reasonable take on Westbrook because the internet won't allow it. And what's funny about it, Kendall, is that's not when I say that it's this hyperbolic thing on both sides. That's not just talking about the fans. That's including Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yes. Because whenever they ask him or talk to him about his game, these answers he gives are, again, you would think it's a comedy sketch. They asked him the other day about his approach to the game because the Lakers have been losing and his defense has been porous, which has been one of the main reasons why the Lakers have struggled. And they haven't been playing winning basketball down the stretch of these close games. He's made some bad decisions. And he said... I think I've been playing great. People expect me to get 25, 15, and 15 like I've been doing the last five years. That's not normal. I just got to keep being me. They asked them about, is this a situation where too often they're asking, to be, is it too much of a Russ 
be let Russ be Russ kind of situation. He said, Russ be, let Russ be Russ doesn't exist except in my head. <laughs> and I know how I have to play. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep doing what I do. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, is this, am, I in a, am I in a Twilight Zone? And, like, there's, there's a part of it that you have to almost respect with Russell Westbrook. Like, you have to respect that level of, like, thinking that, like, he's just how he's been his entire career and his entire life is going to be the way he fixes his problems. Even if, and and you respect it because you know where he's come from. Right. Underhelded guy, barely got a scholarship from UCLA, drafted in the top five, but a lot of people, including myself, had doubts about whether he could be a point guard in the NBA, you know, criticized endlessly throughout his career. So in, in, a, in a sense, you're like, well, I understand why you have that because the way you've been has gotten you very far. But then, like, it misses the obvious context of the way you play is also why you haven't been able to reach your goal, <laughs> which is to win yeah. an NBA championship. And him and the Russ Acolytes don't seem to get it. And what I found hilarious about that whole 25, 15, and 15 line that he said he's been doing for the last five years, which he's never done in his career, um, and he definitely ain't do for the last five years, He's been declining the last five years. What I found funny about that is, again, they're talking about playing winning basketball. He goes to people think I should get better stats, which is just like, I mean, and it's, again, in some ways you're like, wow, that's somebody who really is just not in tune with how people talk about him because everybody thinks he only cares about stats. So, again, in some ways you almost got to respect it. But it's also hilarious because it's like, does this guy only care? Does he only think that we conceptualize his success on the basketball court through stats? Yeah. It, it, it's it's crazy to me. Again, to me, it's just funny. I, I, I said on Twitter, Russell Westbrook Twitter is a spectator sport for me. I'm not getting involved. I'm not commenting. Y'all just have it. It's just fun to watch. And I just sit back and just see where the chips fall. But when it comes to the Lakers in this situation, does Russ get too much heat for some of this stuff? Probably, but he also is part of the problem for them because people keep running to when they've played well at times or when they've lost and his quote-unquote numbers have looked good and said, well, look, he's playing okay. Why, when the Lakers are losing, do we run to him as part of, as the main problem? And again, maybe is it too heavy-handed? Probably. I, if you told me who I think should be the most to blame, I mean, he probably would be third. I would say number one would be Rob Polinka slash the GM, you know, if we were thinking LeBron had anything to do with this roster. <laughs> and number two would be Anthony Davis. So let's keep it a buck as far as how I feel the Lakers season is gone. But Russell Westbrook is three because the way he plays isn't conducive to this team winning basketball games, which has always been for the people that are, are reasonable when they talk about critiquing Russell Westbrook, it's always been the thing with him. It's not that he's not a great athlete. It's not that he's not even a great player. But can the way he plays the game, particularly in tight, close situations, and do the things that he brings and doesn't bring to the table, especially when it comes to outside shooting, is that valuable to a team that's trying to win a championship? And what's frustrating about seeing this conversation is all I get it pointed to is a box score of how many rebounds he had. And I'm like, fam, if you were evaluating point guards 
If I was evaluating any point guard, any any point guard, if I was playing in the NBA, if they were playing at on West Fourth Street in in in, in New York City, and I'll you told me to evaluate the point guard. Rebounding would probably be like the tenth thing I would think about in terms of what that per player brings to the table as a point guard. Yes, you know what I'm saying. You know will be very high mm-hmm. though. You know what can you know will be very high on that list. Turnovers. Yeah, taking care of the ball will be extremely high. It may be like two or three, maybe maybe number one, depending on how the guy plays. And Westbrook, one of the main problems has been. Bad turnovers late in games, and a lack of focus on defense. And what this circular argument that keep happen that keeps happening about the way he's playing is missing the major points. Is he plays sometimes too wild and out of control when they, they need him to be more in control, and he needs to play more steady defense. All that other stuff about him getting triple doubles and assists, I don't care if he does all that and he plays some defense and gets some <laughs> and, and, and takes care of the ball. But if he's not doing those two simple things that any point guard playing in any level of basketball has to do, then yes, he's going to get a lot of blame for when they lose, and it's going to be warranted. But for some reason, there seems to be this disconnect with his style of play and why he's not working that I don't, I just don't understand, and it's making people lose their minds in terms of how they talk about him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Westbrook thing... I kind of feel like Colin Cowherd with, with, with Baker Mayfield, where obviously uh, he's never been the, the Baker Mayfield guy. And now that Baker Mayfield is having a bad season, now he's kind of like, eh, look, I mean, Baker's not that bad. You know, <laughs> you get a bad rap. Yeah, it, with, with Westbrook, I don't even harp on – because I was the guy last year that, you know, in Washington when he was breaking the record and, you know – you you know he, he came on late. I, I I never really was was that impressed by it. Yeah, no, didn't, it didn't move the needle like, for you. Yeah, it didn't move me. I mean, I, you know, I felt I probably was definitely a, a bit of a Grinch when you know because obviously everybody was celebrating. He's a he's a Hall of Fame player. He's a, he's a terrific terrific player. But I just wasn't. I probably I wasn't engaged as engaged in the fanfare as everybody else. Um. So that's why I'm not. You know, the poor play and the uneven play this season also isn't really moving me because I'm like, this is this is par for the course. It's been what Russell Westbrook's been. Um, I it's it's sort of it's upsetting to me more so here because he's from California, he's from LA. Yeah, you know, you know, for him, this means I'm, everything. Yeah, I know this means a ton to him. Yeah. So I, you know, I I'm rooting for him to play well. Um, that's a lot for you because again, you say you're not a Westbrook guy, and you're also no, definitely not, not a La- definitely not a Laker guy. Yeah, I'm not a Laker fan. I'm not. I, and part of me like I know this team's not that good, so I like even if I'm moving <laughs> to play well, I know they're <laughs> right. not going to win championship. Right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that concerned about. The, it's like it's like asking it's like asking it's like asking the uh it's like asking the uh it's like you know the kid that that uh isn't the greatest you know player in little league, and you're playing against him. Like, come on, man, get a hit. You know, right? You, right. you know, he's not going to score a run, and you guys right. are. Probably you know 10. that team's not going to win. They just not gonna win. But like, come on, man, get ahead. It would be nice to see, right. you know. And so, I mean, that, that's that's where we're at right now with the Lakers. But no, I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of how do you fix this, you know, whatever mess has been created, I, I wanna, I wanna say this isn't really that fixable. Um, they this reminds me of that Cavs team that got blown up, and I guess you could say that team got fixed, and because they ended up making the finals uh, in 2018. Um, 
although even that year they, they kind of lucked into it. I mean, Boston really fell apart uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. But still, um, you know, we're talking about a, a Laker team that, you know, they continue. And look, they're dealing with the COVID stuff. Everybody's dealing with the COVID stuff. So it's not like it's not any worse than anyone else is dealing with. But, you know, when I see them losing guys and saying we're going to bring in Isaiah Thomas or we're going to bring in Darren Collison, you, they should they should not be bringing anybody out of retirement. You know, like this is the last team <laughs> right, yeah. that should be bringing anybody out of retirement. I feel like they've already done that <laughs> two or three times <laughs> already this season. So when I see Darren Collison being added to the team, it feels like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. But it's, it's almost like the, the Lakers are the Russell Westbrook of team management. <laughs> like I just need to keep we need Rob playing we just need to keep being ourselves. So that means bringing more old guys out of retirement. Yeah, more old. We gotta keep doing what we've been doing. We are gonna be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it seems and and then when you watch these games and they're running lineups of Westbrook, Rondo, it, you know, LeBron and <laughs> Dwight or LeBron and DeAndre Jordan. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. They have four point guards, not really any shooters out here. <laughs> And you're not really any great defensive players out here. So I don't I mean besides me Dwight Howard if he's out there. Like it doesn't the nothing they do right now makes any sense. Uh the roster construction, I mean Trevor Ariza is getting you know, gives them a little bit of versatility. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker gives them some youth, Monk gives them some shooting. Uh Austin Reeves, when he's out there, has given them some versatility offensively. But again, all the guys that I'm mentioning besides Ariza, all the, the guys who are who got positives for are a lot of the younger players. Um yeah. You know, the the older yeah, guy, not to say Melo Horton Tucker, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, Horton Tucker, you know, might be their most, besides obviously LeBron and Davis and those guys, like, of the back of the bench mob, he's the most versatile of the bunch. He's the most skilled, probably, uh, probably of the bunch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it, this isn't really a team that's gonna, that can be fixed without major, a major, major overhaul. And sometimes the overhaul doesn't necessarily mean you have to get back some other star or some other name guy. Sometimes maybe you have to, you know, so, you know, addition by subtraction. Um, well, like, that's sort of what back, happened with yeah. that last Cavs team. They didn't get better at the deadline. They just changed things up. And through osmosis, they got better. Uh, and right now, that's that's really the only thing this Laker team can try and just get healthy. Because obviously you don't have AD. They don't, you know, LeBron was hurt. So get healthy. And but that's why, that's that's the whole problem, though, Kendall, is that's why I go back to why I say Rob Palinka slash maybe the GM, depending on his influence on the team, is most to blame. Because health is going to be important, especially for when your best player in LeBron James is an older player. And um, AD, while he's a younger player, is just injury prone. That's just been his career. So you just got to mark down that those guys are going to miss some games. And to their credit, Russell Westbrook doesn't miss games. He does play. He doesn't get hurt very often. But they, they are relying, and some of this stuff has been some COVID stuff, but they, a lot of these other guys are talking about guys being in and out of the lineup. Some of this stuff is just to be expected because of the team they constructed. Guys who were hurt when they signed them, like Kendrick Nunn, you know, yeah. other guys that are old. I told you, I, I told you, Kendall, early in the season, I don't know if he said this on the podcast, but I said, when I saw them sign Avery Bradley, after they let him go last year, <laughs> he yeah. just got cut. And it's time to play the team that cut him. I knew that they that the Lakers were in serious trouble. Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute, this is the best you can do? A guy that you didn't want to bring back? 
after you won a championship. And then not only did they bring him in, but he was on opening night. He, he was, was like starting. He, <laughs> he, he was playing real minutes. I'm like, he, he just leaked, he leaked everybody in your depth chart. You just had a whole training. You had a whole training camp in offseason revamping this roster. This team literally that you're facing said he's not good enough to make the 18-man <laughs> roster. But for us, we were facing that team. We want him He needs to be guarding the, the MVP. <laughs> he needs to be guarding the best point guard in the league. Definitely. Like, I mean, that when I saw that, I told you me. I was like, I don't want to overreact, Kendall. Because, but, man, that doesn't look good to me. Like, that's yeah. that's scary. That you you a guy that you didn't want to bring back after you won a championship, then got cut from the team that you about to play, and you're like, yo, he's playing 25, 30 minutes tonight. I'm like, what you got? You ran, you revamped your whole roster. How do you got nobody else? How was a guy that couldn't make another team 18 getting 30 minutes on opening night? That's that's a bad job from either the coaching staff or just, something went terribly wrong in the roster construction, the coaching. Of a, of a team going into the season. Now I got to see Isaiah Thomas getting real minutes. Like, this thing has gotten crazy. And again, they, I know they've gone through yeah. some bad injuries. But, and will the Lakers settle in and, and find a way to get you know, above 500 or something? No, maybe. I can see that. I don't agree with some of the people that have said that LeBron has shown that he's a, that he's a step behind or anything. I, he's still playing great in a lot of these games he's an older player so like even when he goes into this like god mode like he does sometimes even the the impact that it has still is only going to be felt but so much because he's not 32 or 29 you know he's 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 years beyond that so he can do it in spurts and he can do it in, in 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 situations but the roster construction is so bad and he's at a at an advanced stage of his career that the impact when he does have these big games is just not as felt. Which is why, again, the main, for our players are concerned, my main ire would sit on Anthony Davis. This guy looks like he's just content to be a one-time NBA champion. He looks, I don't see the same defensive intensity. I see a guy who we know he can get 25 in his sleep. And it's, it's like he's trying to prove it every night. When I watch him play, because I don't see the, the the maniacal effort I saw on both ends of the court the year they won the title. Yeah, I see a guy who looks like he's trying not to get hurt, even though he's getting hurt. I see a guy that again is trying to prove that everybody he can get twenty five in sleep by playing these kind of middling games and ending up with still twenty and ten, but the team losing by fifteen or winning barely against some of the bottom feeders in the NBA. And that's that's a, a concern because you signed this guy long term and he don't look like even if he's out there with LeBron, it don't look like he's going to make much that much of an impact to where you could be a championship contender. So it's like, what the hell do you sign up for with this guy? Because eventually once LeBron starts to hit the twilight, he's going to be the main guy in L.A. He don't look like anybody that can that can carry a team. Yeah. yeah, that that would that this this thing this Laker thing is highly concerning. I you know I mean and you know me usually I'm very usually especially with team LeBron teams me and you go back I always am very cautious to start hitting panic buttons because the guy's an unbelievable great player and he seems to always figure it out. But this is scary. This was like one of them them years like when LeBron got to trade half the team in order to even remotely make this thing look interesting. 
So uh, LeBron, shame, tw- twice in his career, he's, the, his teams have traded literally the half the roster at the trade deadline. This looks like this will be the third time in his career. It, I, it's almost guaranteed. But this will be the third time in his career that at the trade deadline, half the team will be gone. Because this this can't continue. Yeah, I expect yeah, I expect to see those kind of moves. And I I know people, Bill Simmons been, was the first guy to put this out in the ether that, you know, we may be seeing these the, the thick pieces and, and thoughts and and. and and you know articles being written about uh lebron maybe want to go back to to, <laughs> to cleveland you yeah, know well, then, then, uh, then the kendrick perkins started yeah and then kendrick perkins literally then uh, a couple of days later you know tweeted something about lebron needs to end up needs to want to go back to cleveland um i you know i don't know and i look i think lebron was finished his career in la but i don't know if he's like committed to this to this thing with him and well what's interesting is you know i guess i know i guess his, his i guess bryce is just starting high school or is yes close to starting high school and he's yeah, obviously he's high doing high school in, Los Angeles, in, in california but you no know, Bronny is is about his his time is coming to an end soon in high school yeah you got so more. right so you wonder you know part of the whole thing about him going to la was so that brian can go to sierra canyon is, is there is that not as big a factor when we get you know, down the road, and maybe he decides to look elsewhere. Could going back to Cleveland be an option for him? I I just don't want to see that because to me that would just look like he only wants to be in Cleveland if they got a good team, and if they don't got a good team, he 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 wants to leave Cleveland. Like I don't, I I, right. I, I can't I can't see him do that again. Like it's like it, ultimately, I don't think that I don't know what LeBron's value. There, there's is. an element to like I understand. There's an element to like you know this is the team that he's going to be remembered for, and he should be. So would it be nice to see him end his career there? Yeah, but I don't think it should be because oh, this Laker team ain't looking that good. Oh, the them young Cavs over there—they got some talent. Like I don't, come on, like right. really, we gonna do this again? Come on. So my thing is, even if it's not LeBron who gets moved, is there a chance Davis gets moved? To me, if they were gonna be creative, they should be chopping Anthony Davis. Because this thing about trading Russell Westbrook, you're not going to get anything good back. You're not getting anything. You're not getting <laughs> That's why trading now, for him. That's now, why trading for him was so was so risky. Because you yeah. traded a championship caliber nucleus that helped yeah. guys that helped you win a championship. And for, guys with trade value. And, yeah, and guys that had legitimate trade value for a guy that, on paper, did not fit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care what anybody says. You know anything about basketball. Putting Russell Westbrook next to LeBron didn't make... Any sense other than these guys are really guy star players, value. right? And he got and yeah, and he took back a guy who had very low trade value because of his contract. So now they're in a position where it's going to be hard to rebuild because Russell Westbrook being the center of a trade, who the hell is who the hell is going to be desperate to want to need Russell Westbrook? I, don't people, I saw I got people saying saying the Knicks should be interested. Why the hell the Knicks want Russell Westbrook? <laughs> the Sixers literally don't have they don't have Ben Simmons. They're saying we we don't want Russell Westbrook essentially for free. Just add him to the team, now. <laughs> right? Because yeah, Ben Simmons isn't actually playing. They were like, you know, we'll just playing. we'll just still roll. We'll roll with Tyrese Maxey and, and and Shake Milton. Yeah, we'll just roll with these guys until we figure something else out. But that's now, why I'm saying this Palinka man. Like he, I don't feel like he's really getting no heat for this. Like this thing was not really thought out. Because once you get Russell Westbrook, you're married to him for as long as you got him. You can't trade that contract. But let's even see even when it, even next year when it's on when I guess that might be the last year of his deal, it's the money is so astronomical. It's like <laughs> you got to match a forty five fifty million dollar contract. 
let's be honest about this though. It's, I hear people saying they should trade for John Wall. I'm like, he just got he just got traded for John Wall. We yeah, do, you know what? I'll do this again. <laughs> I mean, John Wall might be a better player or, or a better fit than Russell Westbrook. But the the thing, I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, you talk about trading Davis. You know, do you do you call about Dane? You know, like I, I don't know who else you call about, but Anthony Davis should be able to get you almost anybody. Particularly Anthony Davis on a long term deal. Should be able to get you almost anybody. Right. So exactly. he gets you in the door with almost every player in the league, uh, at least every team in the league to have a conversation. So um Yeah, I mean you have to you have to seriously consider it. Um and it's it's just it's just one of those deals. My but the thing, thing about my the, thing is I know and I don't know if anybody really talks about an Anthony Davis trade. You know, we're just you know yeah, that's what I love about this that's, why, that's what I love about this podcast because me and you we just we just riff and we just go. Yeah, because sometimes you got to see these things beyond the reason why nobody talks about it is because the Rich Paul right clutch boards. There's a, there's a there's a concept that there's no way it could happen. Yeah, there's no way the Rich which Paul I understand why nobody would talk about it for that reason. Right, but, there's no there's no way. What people are don't understand, they think that there's no way that Rich Paul would ever let the Lakers trade Anthony Davis because he's a clutch guy and that's LeBron and whatnot. But people don't understand, and what we we talk about all the time, either on air or behind closed doors, is that Rich Paul, his number one objective beyond, and of course he has he wants to you know empower all of his clients, but his number one objective is to do his best for LeBron. One hundred percent. And we talk about all one thousand percent. No matter, of course, he wants other. He wants everybody else to shine. He wants everybody close to shine. But number one on the on the action plan, number one on the mission plan is make sure LeBron is in the best position possible for his brand, his legacy, win a championship, this and that. And if that means Anthony Davis has to be traded, he got his money, he got his ring. What else does he need? Yeah. You know. I mean, to he, me, I mean, it makes me ask the question. You know, do you call Chicago and say, hey, you know, it, it seems like you guys are doing well with DeMar DeRozan. Do you, what's, what's it looking like with Zach Levine? Can we, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I'm new, I'm playing NBA 2K right now, but, you know, I would you, need a lot from Chicago, obviously. Yeah, no, no, that's the start. That's the start. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's, you know, honestly, I might want him and ball. I was going to say that. I was going to say, what's the deal with Lonzo Ball? I was also going to, before we went to Ball, I was going to go to May Vucevic. And, yo, can I, get, can I maybe get Caruso back? No, no, no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, like, I mean. At that point, the Bulls are like, so who are our guards? Kobe White and. <laughs> yeah, Kobe White and, and you put the Rosen back at the two. Yeah. <laughs> Durham hasn't played two since Toronto. <laughs> he hasn't played the two. <laughs> I was like, he hasn't played two since USC. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, exactly, right. But like, but, but I mean, I'm just you know we having some fun here. But like, these are the calls that they need to be having, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You no, know, because this because this thing ain't this thing ain't it. That's the one thing I do know is this this thing they trying to do with these guys. Yeah, this ain't it. They gotta try to do something else. They gotta call yeah, somebody. The only do you call, do you call, do you call Boston and say, what? How do you guys really feel about Jason Tatum? <laughs> you spell you you mispronounce Jalen Brown. <laughs> you know you're not entertaining a Jason Tatum trade for nah, uh, Anthony nah, Davis. That's a NBA NBA well, champion. Anthony, the thing Anthony Davis that Rich Paul was talking all crazy about 
with Boston saying or he'd never signed there. Davis's dad was saying he'd never gonna sign there. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot about all that. Now obviously that was Danny Ainge. That was the Danny Ainge led front office, but still. Yeah, yeah. Now nah, I mean, shoot. Now that we're talking, man, the call Brooklyn. Say, you guys got a unvaccinated point guard. You you guys are tired of dealing with. Well, that's the Westbrook trade. I'm I like. No, I, but I mean, if I can West- get, I can get, I can get Kyrie and and Joe Harris and maybe a couple I'm of them guys. That guy. I'll give you Westbrook. You ain't that ain't taking Russell West. You think Kevin Durant would rather, Kevin Durant? I don't know. I, I can't even say what he'd rather do. But I know he don't want to play with no Russell Westbrook no more. That's I, never, I agree. He ain't never. He ain't never doing that again. But does LeBron really want to play with Kyrie? <laughs> LeBron, look, look when Kyrie, when Kyrie was a, when Kyrie was a free agent, he was liking them Kyrie Photoshop Laker jersey tweets and posts. He was, yeah, he and was. stuff. So LeBron only cares about, to his credit, is his legacy. And how, what it takes to win his main championship. If the Lakers possible. got so if, the, if Kyrie was the answer, he would sell his soul. We're beating to, to, around to the get, bush to get Kyrie. But if the Lakers somehow got Damian Lillard, and no matter, I don't care who else is on the team, a team with LeBron and Damian Lillard can beat anybody in the Western Conference in a playoff series. If those guys are playing at the like to at, like to me like to me like I, I and I think that uh, Damian Lillard that's just really the team that you would definitely call first. Yeah, I would say, look, give me your backcourt. I'll give you Anthony Davis and Russ, and any of any draft pick we have left. And if yours. you don't want those guys, and I tell you what, you gave if you gave me LeBron with those those guards, that that team can win a championship. Yeah, you'll figure out the front court. You'll the figure NBA out, yeah, you'll figure out the front court. Out. LeBron can play the force. That's already one spot handled. You'll figure out the other two guys. Yeah, like. You give me them guard, like them guys that can shoot, guys that can play off the ball. Those are the guys LeBron has thrived with. Yeah, putting them next to a guy who can't shoot, whose main thing is being the 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 engine and dribbling nonstop and, and the high usage rate. This just doesn't work for this team. Like Russell Westbrook always makes more sense for teams that are middling or mediocre because they didn't got no one else to get the ball to. So he only he, to me, Russell Westbrook is like he's like Derek Lowe in baseball back in the day. He's an innings eater. He, like he, he does not that guy shouldn't be he shouldn't be no guy pitching for a team that's he shouldn't be your ace for a team trying to win a, a World Series. Exactly. But if you if you're the you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, that guy can throw he's gonna throw two hundred innings. And you know what? You're gonna need somebody to throw two hundred innings. You don't got you don't got the horses. So when he was playing for the equivalent of the Pittsburgh Pirates in the Washington Wizards, it worked. Because guess what? They needed 200 innings from somebody. The Lakers don't need a 200 innings guy. They need guys to complement the ace, which is LeBron. Yeah. And he hasn't proven to be a guy that can be a three or four. That's not been who he's been. So why him and some Laker fans and... And the Laker and the Russ acolytes can't seem to understand that when it's so clear, I don't get. Stan Van Gundy was getting heat for saying that if you have a triple-double, that doesn't mean you had a good game. People are giving him heat for it. I'm like, why are y'all giving heat for it? You just saw him do it. <laughs> he said this during Christmas. And it's, he said, guys who have a triple-double doesn't mean that they had a good game. Everyone agreed Russ played a terrible game on Christmas. 
And people were like, what the hell are you talking about? Stan Van Gunny clearly don't know basketball. As if we didn't just see the worst triple-double we've ever seen <laughs> in an NBA game. Just, like, an hour ago. Like, but that's why I say this whole thing is comedy when it comes to commentary about Russell Westbrook. Something as, to me, very obvious, because we just saw it, said by Stan Van Gundy, somehow is twisted into something that's ridiculous, apparently. But I don't know. I don't know. This Laker thing, though, again, I'm usually, when it comes to LeBron, I give him a lot of benefit of the doubt because I've been burned before from doubting his teams. I have grave doubts that unless this Laker team is greatly revamped, that they're going to do anything of note yeah, in the postseason this year. Yeah, and, you know, again, we talk about we talk about this idea that, you know, they probably need to trade Davis if they want to have a chance. It's probably not going to happen, but we're just saying that's what, that's what they need to do. That's what they need to consider, at least, if they want to find any way. Sometimes you got you to gotta wave the white flag. As a Celtics fan, I'm not thinking about how can Brad Stevens reshape the roster by February to try and win a championship. We're not going to win a championship. The window, the window is shut for the, at least yeah. for the next for the next year. I mean, we'll see what happens in free agency, we'll see what happens in the draft. But you know, I mean, not every team in the league feels like they have a chance to win a championship, particularly in the NBA. So right now, the Lakers are one of those teams right now. Yeah, because you have LeBron and Davis, you feel like you have an outside shot. Things go right, but like for the most part. They're in the same boat with those middle of the pack teams that no, they don't have a chance to win it. Does Dallas have a chance to win a championship? No, no. You know, like I mean, the, on, they... the only thing, the reason why this like season isn't more of a disaster is because the Western Conference this year is like the equivalent of the AFC in the, the NFL. AFC, yeah. I mean, it's just it's no it's like four good teams, and yeah. four is like being generous if we're saying Memphis is a good team. Right. Everyone else is five hundred or lower. In the East, you got, you know, six good teams. And then there's a lot of mediocre, once you get to the playing situation. You got mediocre teams that are well beyond the playing situation in the West. Yeah. So, like, that that's where, and the Lakers are the top playing team right now. They're seventh. And they're 17 and 18. They just had a five-game losing streak. <laughs> so the only, reason why, the only reason why this thing isn't more disastrous is just because the West is just terrible. And if there's any sign of optimism of what could come, maybe you say, well, the West is so bad that if the Lakers could just play marginal basketball, they could find themselves out of the playing situation. And then, you know, once you get out of there, you just see what happens. But, again, it, I, I said before the season, if they see the Suns again, they're getting run out the gym. <laughs> and I still feel that way. If they see the Warriors, they're going to get run out the gym. If they see the Jazz, they're getting run out the gym. They just have no chance to compete against They're a better basketball team. And, and yeah. it's very – the NBA, because there's so many games, there's, it's hard for these things. It, there, it's, it, it's hard. And because the playoffs are a multi-game series, they're multi-game series, it's a large sample size. These things don't – upsets of that magnitude just don't really happen that often. If the Lakers no. end up being a 7 or an 8 seed or even a 6 seed and they run into one of those three teams – the odds isn't beating them, even though the Jazz. That's what I mean. That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying last year during the, when, when it came to that Sun series. Yeah, I mean the Lakers uh, may have like, the only reason why you pick the Lakers is just is to ignore the regular season. <laughs> exactly. If the Lakers have may have two players better than anybody on the Jazz. May have two players better than anybody on the Suns. 
you know, and yet they don't have they don't have a chance. <laughs> but it's it's just based off of I know that's why people think that they will have a shot, but it, you know, over a over eighty two game season, you think they're going to be able to win a seven game series based off of what we've seen over the eighty two game season? I don't know. Upsets have happened, so it's not like it's never happened before. But man, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I don't know where we're gonna have to leave it today, Kendall. But thank you guys for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. Of course, if you enjoy our shows, make sure you check us out on New Generation Podcast Network. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is our final New Generation Sports Talk podcast of the the, the year 2021. We got big things planned for 2022, so make sure you guys stay locked on this podcast network. Again, you can find this Sports Talk podcast on our podcast network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. Uh, follow, us, follow us individually on social media. You can find Kendall on Twitter, New Gen Ken. You can find me on Twitter. EJ underscore Stewart on Instagram, action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking this out. Once again, sending our condolences to the family of John Madden. May the legendary head coach and broadcaster rest in peace. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys.